Santa's watching, Santa's creeping. Now you're nodding, now you're sleeping. Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. Welcome to Now Playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night retrospective series. This fella dressed as Santa. He said about killing them that was naughty. Hosted by Stuart. What the hell's wrong with that kid? Arnie. I don't sleep. And Marjorie. Well, I stopped seeing these creepy things. I hate it. Each week, we will be unwrapping and reviewing another film in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Leading up to a review of the remake, coming out in December. Christmas. The number one holiday for people going nuts. But be warned. Opening this gift will give you detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. Merry fucking Christmas. Santa's creeping, now you're nodding, now you're sleeping. Were you good for mom and dad? Santa knows if you've been bad. Today we're discussing Silent Night, Deadly Night. Starring... Robert Brian Wilson, Gilmer McCormick, Linnea Quigley, and directed by Charles Seller. Shame on you all. (laughs) Seller indeed. I'm Arnie, the naughty host of Now Playing Who Should Be Punished. And you will be. Stuart in LA. I'm Marjorie and I feel I've been punished. Yes, we are doing Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'll be honest, we were going to do Silent Night, Deadly Night no matter what because Stuart picked it. But then... At Comic-Con, we found out there was going to be a remake just called Silent Night with actual stars in it like Malcolm McDowell. We were not sure, even when we were scheduling these recordings, if it would come out this year. We prayed it would. It is. It's going to be out next week on Blu-ray. I have it pre-ordered from Amazon. So you're getting an extra treat this holiday season as come the Yuletide season, you will be getting... Two Silent Nights in One Week as we review the remake. Yeah, I planned this one not as a tie-in. I literally were like, oh, we have five movies till Christmas. What would plug in here? Silent Night, Deadly Night. I don't know if it's an added treat or not, but it's an extra film that we're going to put in on the Friday leading up to Christmas Day when we cover the new movie then. But it's actually got a decent cast, so maybe we will end with a nice present. I mean, Malcolm McDowell, (laughs) Donald Logue. Donald Logue, I'm in. Yeah, these people have never let us down before, Blade, Halloween 2. (laughs) I'm sure it's faultless. I'm looking forward to it, honestly, though. I'm looking forward to the whole series. I really don't know anything about this one. But I really, in all the series I ever thought we'd have to do for now playing, I don't know that Silent Night, Deadly Night ever really came up. To me, this is a slasher series, A, that I've never seen, and B, that I would put below the likes of Wishmaster or... Jeepers Creepers, or even Stepfather. Yeah, I don't think this movie quite knows what it wants to be. It's like, slasher movies were big in the 80s, if you recall. Friday the 13th, huge successful movies, and there were a million knockoffs. And everybody wanted to make a slasher movie. And in fact, this came out the same day as my favorite slasher series began, Nightmare on Elm Street. Same day, huh? Yep. And it actually beat Nightmare on Elm Street the first weekend. 
Well, this movie was notorious. I can tell you only this much. I have never seen the series either. I can't say that I was begging to do it, but it has always had a small place of notoriety to me because it is the first film I ever heard of where people protested. I don't know if you remember this or not, Arnie, but Showplace 8, there was an old man with a sandwich board on him wearing mittens and a heavy coat out in the snow begging and pleading for the children to be spared from having to see Silent Night, Deadly Night, as if my parents would take me to this. <laughs> yeah, who's taking their kid to this movie? I don't understand. I thought bad parenting was something really new, where people were taking their kids to rated R movies. But my parents would have never taken me to this. I had to beg and plead to see Poltergeist, even. Catholic town, and I do think it was a rallying call for them to come out and show their support against this evil, evil movie, which, of course, as a aspiring horror fan, just made me want to see it more and more and more. And the fact that I never did, well, I think that's why we're here today. I knew someday I was going to have to cross this off my list. It's too notorious to be ignored. Even though I agree, it may not have the esteem of Nightmare on Elm Street or even Friday the 13th. The funny thing is, I hear Santa Claus Killer, and that doesn't even raise an eyebrow. I don't understand what the big deal is. It seems like these days we have killer tooth fairies, killer leprechauns. Why not killer Santa Claus? I thought leprechauns were evil anyway. (laughs) They probably are, especially that cereal hawking sugar nut. Yeah, I thought that they were bad anyway, but I guess not. But this became before all that. Yeah. You're saying, well, by these days, well, yeah, we'll have to see how the remake can keep pace with these days. But prior to these days, this was a pretty shocking concept. There were things that we thought were off limits. And a character that brings magic and happiness to all the children of the world now coming down the chimney with an axe. At least that's what the poster promised. I really didn't know whether this would be actual Santa killing children or whether this was going to be a guy dressed up as Santa. But it's a bold concept to say a beloved figure is going to be a killer. That said, this wasn't even unheard of in 1984, despite the Catholic groups protesting. They obviously didn't do their research, as this exact thing was done by Tales from the Crypt in 1972. Well, there was no internet, Arnie. How are they supposed to do their research? (laughs) Look, we battle what's out this year, and what was out in 1984 was this killer Santa Claus movie. You're right. It is not the first slasher Christmas movie. We've already covered Black Christmas 1974, and I recommended it. I thought it was pretty good, but it didn't have anybody dressed up in a white and red suit. That was the step that was taken here forward. That's what Tales from the Crypt did, was have red-white suit killer. Yes, I'm sure that this didn't pioneer a thing, but when you have a heavily promoted movie showing up in a relatively small religious community, I think that you are going to see people respond to it. And they did. And like I said, I can remember going to other movies and seeing these people outside ringing bells, praying and putting on sandwich boards and wondering how evil a movie could be to make people stand out in that cold. you got to be pretty dedicated to protest something in the freezing cold. I'm not that dedicated. Spring or fall is like my protest season where it's comfortable. Maybe I can throw on a hoodie or something. But if I got to bundle up and have hand warmers and three coats, I'm not protesting. It's just not that important to me. And they're not raising money for the children. I mean, it's one thing to be ringing the bell for Salvation Army, but no, I guess they thought 
that if we saw them, that we would turn around and be shamed and not make it to the ticket booth. But I did know about this protest. When I actually shamed the filmmakers earlier, I was paying homage to Siskel and Ebert, who did this exact thing on their show. They would list the credits of the film and then say, shame on you, because... Siskel said this was one of the two most depraved films, worthless films he's ever seen, the second one being I Spit on Your Grave. But the protests did get this movie pulled after just two weeks of release. That's why A Nightmare on Elm Street ended up outgrossing it, but this one had more buzz in November of 84, and has certainly developed a cult following for those who can find it. In addition to this movie being hard to see in 1984, this movie's hard to see in 2012. It is out of print. It has had two DVD printings, both gone. They go for a high premium on the secondary market. We did post a link to a YouTube video that may or may not be taken down by the time we release this show. But this is a cult hit with a capital C on cult. I think that may change with the approach of Silent Night, the reboot. I dare say Anchor Bay, which is controlling this remake, will somehow shuffle these out into the public. I think that that may change within a matter of weeks. I smell a Christmas-themed box set. (laughs) Perhaps with a knife or something, a little rubber knife or a rubber axe. I hope we get a soundtrack. Oh, (laughs) they got some original carols here. I thought we would get the traditional stuff, but no, they were perhaps the most creative thing in this movie are the Christmas songs. Also, despite how much people reacted to this movie in theaters, what we saw was even worse than what Mr. Sandwich Sun was protesting, because the only print available on DVD, which is what we saw, is the unrated version, Mm. which probably would have made the protesters' head explode. Oh, who am I kidding? They wouldn't watch before they protest. They probably Uh. have still never seen the movie, but they're at home watching their porn. So they've seen this movie. Okay. (laughs) Come on, 80 slasher flicks are all about boobs, Arnie. You know that. That I do. All right, Arnie. Well, if they can't find it, why don't you tell them what it's about? Give them the plot. Twas the night before Christmas, 1971, but the Chaplin family would not have much fun. Grandpa was catatonic. He would not reply, but left alone with Billy said the boy would die. If children are naughty any time in the year, Grandpa says it's Santa Claus kids have to fear. When out of the nuthouse, the Chapmans drove away, both boys fast asleep, awaiting Christmas Day. Ellie slept beside me as I drove us back, never suspecting we'd soon suffer an attack. When up on the road, there was a broken Buick. We woke up the boys to meet the driver, St. Nick. Santa pulled a gun that he somehow had stashed. I floored the gas pedal away like a flash. Santa started shooting and soon I was dead. Ellie tried to run, but Santa wanted head. He tore her shirt open (laughs) to put on a show. Her breasts were exposed in the new fallen snow. She tried to fight back, gave Santa a deck. So he pulled out a switchblade and cut open her neck. But Billy was smarter, ran away and hid. And baby Ricky was lucky. Santa ignored that kid. But three short years later, both boys lived with nuns. The orphanage was not a place for much fun. Billy hated Santa. St. Nick brought nightmares. So Mother Superior beat him with much flair. Finally, in the 80s, Billy was a young man, and good sister Margaret was his biggest fan. She helps him find work at a local toy store. But it's Christmas time. Santa does Billy abhor. He faces his fear, tries not to throw fits. But things turn worse when the store Santa quits. Billy is forced to wear the red Christmas suit. He tries to keep it together. He tries to stay mute. But in the toy store room, Billy sees a rape. It reminds him of mom and a plan soon takes shape. 
Billy's mind snaps clean. Good Billy vanished. Now here was bad Santa. Naughty would be punished. Billy kills the rapist, then everyone in the store. But his bloodthirst's not quenched, and he goes looking for more. He kills a half-naked woman, and then her boyfriend. Then a couple of bullies. Will his rampage not end? The police go searching on that cold Christmas Eve. But Billy eludes them. He's crazy, not naive. The police think he'll go back to the bad kid's home. They stake out the orphanage where Billy may roam. But when Santa comes to visit, cops shoot the wrong guy. T'was death father O'Brien. Did he have to die? Finally, Billy comes calling. Punish the bad nun. Who says there's no Santa? Nowhere left to run. The police shoot Billy and end his killing spree. But Billy's brother Ricky gets mad and says, Naughty. The credits do roll. Characters fade from sight. A bloody Christmas for all. And to all good fucking night. <laughs> Bravo. That was that tremendous. Was it was. It really was. I hope you'll do that every week that we're doing this. This is going to be really stale by the time you get to Silent Night 4. You'll be like, oh, sh shit. Only if it happens on the night before Christmas, though. They have to all be Christmas Eve-based. Do you think that they won't? <laughs> Did you see the titles? Yeah, what other holiday would, would it be? Bastille Day? I'm confused. <laughs> Santa Claus is doing a murderous rampage on Bastille Day? Oh, yeah. I don't know, the toy store is selling Halloween costumes at Christmas. I was really confused about some of the timeline of this movie. <laughs> What's funny is, I put in the disc, and I'm thinking, good 80s slasher, and then the movie comes up and says 1971, and having not seen this movie, having no childhood association of this movie, Stuart having picked this movie, I'm like, oh, are we watching a film from the 70s? And I think that for a good third to half of the film, as this movie has the longest fucking setup oh in cinematic God. history. I kept waiting for the movie to happen, I was like, oh my God, this could have all been handled in flashbacks. Now, this does happen in early slashers. I think we've seen that with Friday the 13th, the original. They didn't understand that we wanted to get to the quote-unquote good stuff. They thought that they needed to do setup, character work, motivation. <laughs> a lot of this movie, and I'm going to almost applaud it. Meh, applaud's too strong a word. I'm going to acknowledge that they did try to get us to understand how a little boy would grow up to be a Santa Claus killer. We're going to find out that one of the children that we see in this prologue is going to be our main villain. You see, and I don't know where this is going, but you mentioned Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th starts with that Mrs. Voorhees flashback. It's about a minute long, it's uber-violent, and it's over. And then there's a lot of talk about spiders and dimly lit sexual activity. There is a drag on that movie as well. It's common in a lot of slashers, Arnie. True, but what I see there is we're being introduced to our victims and trying to like them. Make it like it's a teen movie where we see these characters out having their little adventures, their sexcapades, everything else is going on, and that way we feel sympathy for them when they're dead. What I don't remember seeing in other films is 25 minutes of setup of seeing the boy psychologically tortured and everything that happened to him to make him the killer. The first third of this movie is basically Freddy's dead, the final nightmare flashback scenes, only it's done before we give a shit about Billy or any of the other people in the movie. And as such, I think it has this ripple effect that we'll discuss as we go through this movie that makes us not care at all about the victims because this entire movie is about Billy, about the killer. I think that's what's amazing about the movie in some ways that makes this slasher unique to any that I can think of. Even Rob Zombie's 
Halloween reboot. As much as he loved to focus on the killer and the trauma he experienced in childhood that made him the way that he's going to be, I do feel like they gave us characters that were also the victims to identify with. Always a big theme with me in slasher films is who are my ends? Who's the person that I'm going to care about trying to elude danger? This is not a movie in which we wish for a virgin or an innocent to escape a Christmas massacre. This is a movie in which we are asked to, yeah, make a list of everyone we want to see dead and then watch Santa bring that home with an axe. <laughs> I had no idea going into this movie what to expect. I intentionally pulled a Brock. I watched no trailers. I read no summaries. I put the disc in and just awaited what it would give me. So when we're seeing these early scenes in 1971, I don't know if the killer is St. Nick come down from the North Pole with cannibalistic reindeer. I don't know if it's going to be a guy in a Santa suit. I don't know if it's just going to be a killer that happens to kill on Christmas night. I have no idea what to expect. And when we start off with a family going to a sanatorium to see their catatonic grandfather, I'm amused. <laughs> I don't know where it's going, but I'm having fun with this grandpa and his crazy old coot performance pretending to be catatonic, but when left alone with Billy, all of a sudden he just starts saying crazy things like, if you were naughty at all, Santa's gonna kill ya! Okay, first of all, that guy <laughs> looked like Dr. Jacoby from Twin Peaks. <laughs> he kinda did. I yeah. Guess. A little, yeah. Because I kept thinking, well, that guy, that's too old to be that guy, but Billy must have already been fragile and mentally ill if this little interaction with his grandfather caused this massive downslide along with his parents being killed. He's five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say they give you three good reasons why he goes nuts. So, And the first one is that, yeah, there's mental illness in the family. He may have been born not right in the head if this is grandpa. That's in his genes. Yeah, but I thought grandpa had like Alzheimer's or something and that was the problem. Yeah, but this is not a nursing home. This is a mental institution. This is the Utah place where we dump crazy, I assume, criminal or criminally inclined insane people. I didn't get criminal, mm -mm. but I got crazy. And I honestly thought it was kind of like awakenings. I honestly thought the grandpa had a disease that was leaving him catatonic. And it turns out, what, he's faking? <laughs> the same thing. I thought he was catatonic because of like Alzheimer's or something like that. They didn't suggest criminally insane because he wasn't like tied up or anything. There's no illusion. He was in a nice flannel robe and jammies. <laughs> if you have someone that's criminally insane, you're locking that shit down. Yeah, you probably have a point there. But to me, it didn't feel like a place where there were old people playing bingo or shuffleboard. It didn't feel like a place you go when you can't stay at your home anymore. It felt like a place you go when you've gotten so crazy, we don't know where else to put you. And yes, I agree. It was a fool that we believed that this man was catatonic, but when the parents leave, he turns to the little child and tells him all these lies about Santa and how he should be afraid tonight because Santa is going to judge him and maybe Billy hasn't been good enough not to receive punishment. What do you mean lies about Santa? You mean this isn't true? This is what I was brought <laughs> up to believe. <laughs> I've never had the night before Christmas framed to me in such a horrifying way in which I am dreading the appearance of the man down the chimney because I believe that he is going to punish me for breaking a lamp or something six months ago. I guess if you look at it, Billy didn't really come from the best home as his parents and the doctor left alone with crazy grandpa. They just walked away and said, Billy, stay with grandpa for a while. And then they all just disappeared. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, but he wasn't moving. I think they just thought the worst thing that could happen, he'd get drool on him. I'll go with that. These are very generically nice parents. We don't get any inclination that they are anything but upstanding citizens. That, that was a surprise. Typically, in these kinds of movies, we have abusive families. We have at least a dad that's a drunk or some indication that something is not right in the home to indicate why a child would grow up bad. But that's not the case here. He's got an ideal life. The name Billy, I know it's kind of generic, and if you're going to name a kid, Billy is maybe the first name you come to. But is this a callback to Black Christmas? That ended up being the killer in that movie as well. There's a character that sneaks into a sorority house's attic and makes lewd prank phone calls and talks about Billy, Billy. Well, I thought maybe they were at least acknowledging the original Christmas slasher movie. I did think about that. Having watched some of the behind-the-scenes interviews with this, I don't know that it really went there. This is based on a novel. It is an out-of-print novel that I was not able to find for a Books and Nachos review. It's called Sleigh Ride by Paul Kamey. And this movie was going to be called Sleigh Ride till the very end. So maybe that author was a fan of Black Christmas in the 70s. Hard to say. I was disappointed that Grandpa never came more into it. If you start a movie about a crazed killer... And you start this movie at a sanatorium. The movie needs to come full circle. You don't put a nuthouse in the first act if you're not going to wind <laughs> up there in the third act. Come on, we saw Cabin in the Woods. He's the harbinger. All he really does here is set the tone. He lets the child know that he should be afraid of Christmas and not wanting to stay up to meet Santa. True. I just thought for sure that the killer would either end up in that nuthouse or come from that nuthouse. The fact that we never hear about Grandpa again... It's a little disappointing. He was a fun old coot. I like the actor's performance there. His bug eyes really added to the craziness. I'm not getting a whole lot out of this very first act, but Will Hare really was an amusing performance. I thought when Grandpa came out of his catatonia, I would not enjoy his performance. I couldn't have been more wrong. It's telling the quality of the movie when you're wanting to cling to this as something great. He's fine. The fact that he's trying to give a performance and being hammy is admirable <laughs> in a movie where people are largely playing it flat and may have not even known that there was a script, but just read cue cards that were being held slightly off camera. I'm not going to say any of this is great, but... I am waiting for the twist. What is going to make Billy confirm that indeed Santa is a bad force? And we get it when we cut away and we see that there is a criminal on the loose. There is a man in a Santa suit that is robbing convenience stores and anyone that should pass by. And we see him take out a clerk for $31. Yeah, and that was a really good kill. I'm going to give the people some props there because in 1984... To have an actor fall on the ground, get shot in the head, have the head wound appear, and then the blood pop out and not look like a terrible prosthetic. In the same year, Arnold Schwarzenegger was cutting out his eye in Terminator, and it looked far worse. But it might have been all the makeup person could do, really, with bullet wounds, because the father had the same bullet wound. Santa's a crack shot! <laughs> That's right, because ultimately, of course, the family is driving home, and Santa they see ahead has busted down and is flagging them down. And yes, the plan is to rob them. I think it starts off as a carjacking, honestly. I think Santa wants a ride. Okay, so his car really was broken down. Well, we don't know. I thought it was just a ruse to rob people because that's very common ruse. Oh, my car's broke. Oh, I'm going to kill you and take all your stuff. 
Yeah, was he going to kill them? I guess that's what I'm leading into is, is this a mass murderer or is this just a man that's trying to get a hundred bucks and will do whatever it takes? I think that's it. He needed his meth. I took it as he was a robber. He didn't want to shoot the guy. Otherwise, he would have shot and then taken the money. But the store clerk pulled a gun. Now we see him. His car's broken down. He obviously doesn't have a lot of money for car maintenance if he's killing people for 30 bucks. So I didn't take him as a crazed psychotic. But much like Grandpa, I'm disappointed we don't find out more about this guy. I'm really thinking at this stage of the movie, the entire movie is going to be young Billy running from killer Santa and taking place in 1971. I'm not seeing this as a, we're setting up Billy to be a killer. I see Billy at this point as a victim because we've spent so much damn time with him. I'm thinking back to other movies we've seen, like Halloween 4, where you have the little kid being chased by the killer. There's also little brother Ricky to be concerned about. I thought he was going to be on the run to save his baby brother. But no, instead he shoots the father in the head. The father's smart enough to try to run. And then tries to rape the mother in a very brutal scene. Yeah, well, this is what I'm getting at here is when and his agenda did he decide it was going to be about sexual assault? I thought this guy was a robber. That's exactly what threw me for a loop is I just thought he really wanted them what was ever in their wallet and then to get out of town. But all of a sudden, it's an opportune time to tear off her blouse and he can't decide. Like, I thought, is this a rape? But then early on, he just decides to kill her. And I'm like, well, I didn't think you were a rapist or a killer. I thought you were someone in need of money so it's confusing to me i guess all it really is meant here to do is to imprint on a small child a traumatic event that is going to shape him into being a warped killer i didn't take it as an either or when he killed the mother i wasn't sure rape was still off the table <laughs> i agree with the way it's framed and the way he's straddling her unfortunately you're right but you guys got to consider two things. And I guess I have to state first that none of us are criminologists. <laughs> I just know what I read in the paper and see on TV. First of all, you have to fulfill a quota of boobies in a slasher flick. And this, conveniently, her top was ripped open. It fulfilled that quota. You get boobies right off the bat. Two, you can't really rationalize this criminal. We get no motive for him. Yeah, he's robbing the gas station. He shoots the clerk. We know something bad's going to happen to this family when we see the gun being pulled out of Santa's waistband. At this point, we don't know anything about this Santa other than he's got a gun. He's already killed somebody. He did ask for some money from the gas station. I don't think it really matters to the plot either. Yeah. At this point and at no other point do we know why he's doing this. That's what I'm citing here is that it's not a problem that in the moment we don't understand. It's a problem that it's just a dangling thread loose. They never, ever go back to. No, and they don't. And I really don't think you're supposed to question what he was going to do. Slasher flicks are all about boobs. But one thing that most movies do is they are very careful to separate nipples and blood. If you look at A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tina's shirt is ripped open. And Wes Craven said they made very sure that there were no nipples visible when Freddy cuts open her stomach. And in talking about Cabin in the Woods, there was a scene there where the blonde chick was topless and she's going to get stabbed through the hand. The moment the violence starts, they made sure to tape over her nipples. I don't know if I'm going to credit this movie for being brave or damn it for being callous, but it has no problem slitting the topless woman's throat. 
part of the reason is, is this scene is not really meant for titillation, or rather, the titillation is a secondary concern. I think the primary concern is we want Billy to understand that the connection between exposed breasts and violence is very, very close, because that's going to be a trigger for him later. Now, What's really surprising to me, you said that you didn't know where this was going, you thought this was going to be the start of a big long chase. I knew that when the movie was set, I knew that Billy would grow up and become the killer. All of that was kind of obvious to me. What is a surprise is I thought from this point forward, Billy would be exhibiting homicidal tendencies. But when we jump a couple years to him at the orphanage, he is... Sure, drawing pictures of decapitated Rudolph and Santa, but he is not attacking other kids. He is not showing bloodlust. He is not showing that he is capable of killing. Indeed, he is not capable of killing at that point. And for the listeners who haven't seen this, I want to really make a note about pacing. This movie's 82 minutes long. This initial scene set in 1971 is about 10 minutes of it which is rather long for the first of two flashbacks, but I can go with it. We then spend 15 more minutes in 1974 with Billy in an orphanage getting abused by nuns. Abused by one nun. There's one on Champion as well, but he has been thrown into the system and not doing very well. And for whatever reason, Mother Superior seems to hate him. No other child seems to get her goat the way that poor Billy does. And so she's just quick to ground him. She's unsympathetic about what he's been through. And she beats him with a belt when she sees Billy discovering that kids are having sex. That was confusing to me. Were those orphans? Who were those kids? I was confused, too, because at first I thought, oh, they're workers. Maybe it's a young nun. But then there seemed to be no men other than the little, small, tiny children. Yeah, I didn't know if this was an all-ages orphanage, and these were the older kids. We didn't ever see any other older kids. I briefly thought it might have been the nun. The cinematographer is far more interested in showing me this woman's tits than her face. So I never was really able to get it. Now, this was the first of several long, lingering sex scenes in the movie that almost came across more Skinamax softcore porn than horror. I'm kind of used to the horror sex scene aesthetic where you see some tits bouncing and things. But this is like long side shots of both people naked, male nudity, not frontal, but fully naked men, fully naked women rolling around, loving shots. It felt gratuitous to me. It's probably telling that the director, Charles Seller, never did go on to direct any more of these or any other horror franchise. As much as I tend to dog on some of these little low-rent slasher movies... We've seen directors work in that format and help develop the formula, but these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't come with the experience of knowing the genre, and they don't invent their new rules to break genre cliches. I would say that what we are watching here is someone that is trying to interpret a slasher movie without giving it much consideration, without having any real fresh ideas to it. This is Amateur Hour. I don't know that it's necessarily amateur as far as horror goes. It's just I think this person was completely interested in base emotion. He wants to spend the time showing sex and violence, which is the stereotype for this type of movie. But rarely do I just see these sex scenes so tender. Arnie, 
I think you're overthinking this. You're giving these guys way too much credit for their art. They made a bad movie. Yeah. They didn't know what they were doing. That sums it up right there. I'll go with Arnie in this much. They are lingering on selling this one feeling again and again and again. In case you left the theater, went and had a meal, went caroling, and then came back and didn't know what was going on and wanted to be caught up, Billy is having a bad childhood. (laughs) They just again and again and again hit this note in a way that is surprising because, yeah, these don't feel exploitive necessarily in the way that I'm supposed to be like, oh, good, a sex scene. This will be enjoyable for me. It feels mostly here for trauma because this scene quickly becomes about the nun beating him and telling him that what they were doing is bad and that he is naughty for having seen it. This kid just gets beat because he's a kid that deserves to be beat or so thinks Mother Superior. And this is why I think the Catholics protested this film. They don't give a crap about bloody Santa. They didn't care about Tales from the Crypt. But you portray Catholicism in the slightest negative light, and all of a sudden, the Catholics are going to come out and say you're damning their religion. I went to a Catholic school. I was hit by a nun with a big metal stick. This does happen. This is not an unfair portrayal of sisters treating of children in their care. Right. I think this is what drew the Catholic ire, and yet they chose Santa Claus as their champion because, well, I think most people who've met nuns have been hit by nuns at least once. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Where there's smoke, there's fire, and they definitely were on to something about the way that the abuse was playing out here, but it's not an entirely unsympathetic portrait. This is not Oliver Twist here. There is one other sympathetic character that is around this child that is helping nurture him, Sister Margaret. She's the nice nun. She's the one that is telling him after he's grounded, it's okay to come out. It's okay to play with the other children. She's more concerned about his mental health than Mother Superior, who just wants to suppress it and beat it out of him. But she let him get beat by a belt when she told him he could come out and play and Sister Margaret didn't say a damn thing. When Mother Superior took him back in the house to beat the shit out of him. I think this scene would actually make more sense if it were Sister Margaret having the sex. I think you're right. If it had been one of the nuns, this would have been a more provocative scene here. We would have understood something. Billy was following Sister Margaret instead of going outside. And what drew him was what she was doing. And maybe Sister Margaret gets kicked out at this point. But you have to have some reason why Margaret says it's okay for Billy to go outside. And then he gets beat for it. There is a disconnect. Also, at this point, I'm realizing what this movie is doing. I'm realizing at this point, Billy is probably going to be the killer. I'm not convinced, but I'm pretty sure. Oh, it was pretty evident. I don't know why you weren't convinced. I still thought it could end up being Santa Claus is killing people and Billy is still the victim and he's having all these flashbacks. But I'm pretty sure at this point they're trying to make a sympathetic tale of a killer. But I could almost see this movie taking a slight left turn and becoming Portrait of a Submissive. He's getting spanked with a belt. Mother Superior says, punishment is absolute. Punishment is necessary. Punishment is good. Doesn't this seem like a guy who just wants a hot poker shoved up his ass for pleasure as an adult? (laughs) I don't have any response to that. I don't know if he's that guy. I didn't read his Christmas list. Did it involve harnesses? He's being tied spread eagle to a bed by a nun. 
this is very weird. With all the sex in this movie, it's got me thinking sex, and then you tie a boy spread eagle and tell him punishment is good. Well, it's helping to blur the lines. You can understand why he's getting confused and why when he is aroused, it would bring out homicidal instincts. That's what they're trying to do. I wouldn't overthink it. Basically, this kid doesn't know good sex from murder. That's what they're telling us here. Who does, really? I mean... (laughs) (laughs) No one in a slasher movie, I can tell you that. But it gets even worse, Arnie. After this, it becomes Christmas morning, and Mother Superior is cracking me up. She's like, I see greed where there should be gratitude. Kids are opening (laughs) gifts. Okay, it's Christmas morning. You're going to take that from them? They're orphans. They're orphans. You've got, like, a lousy gift. This was, like, the gift that someone dropped off that they didn't want to give their own kid. They're unwrapping it, and she's like, I see greed. Oh. I honestly was trying to decide now if this movie is, like, a comment on capitalism of Christmas. Maybe this is a pro-Catholic film. (laughs) It's not a pro-Catholic film. Why aren't they talking about Jesus? Why aren't they talking about Santa? Because then she goes and says, all right, children, even though you've already opened up your gifts, we have Santa here. He's not back at the North Pole. Everyone sit on his lap. Yeah, what are you going to tell Santa if you already have your gifts? By the way, Santa, you forgot my train set. (laughs) Can you bring me my mom and dad, please? Because this woman is a bitch. (laughs) It's a bizarre setup, but obviously they want to hit home again. The association between Billy and Santa and the trauma and he immediately flashes back, what have you. But it's an incredible cruel thing to do to any child, particularly one who saw his parents being murdered by a Santa Claus, to have to sit on Santa's lap. But Billy has a hell of a left hook. He knocks Santa out. I'm hating Mother Superior. I'm relishing in the fact that she's going to get her comeuppance. I know that this Mother Superior is going to get it, and I think it's going to happen here. I think little Billy is going to snap and kill Mother Superior. And we would have nice sister Margaret walk in and see Billy standing over Mother Superior's dead body. Because we want this woman dead. I am relishing that this woman is going to get punishment because she is the one that is turning him into this killer. There have been three reasons why Billy goes mad. One, mental illness in the family. Grandpa, who knows? But that's in his genes. Then he sees a traumatic murder and quasi-rape of his family. And now he's living with nuns that are teaching him that sex is bad and arousal is bad and okay he's learned all that he needs to it's time to tell us that billy is a killer kill off this mother superior and send him to the sanitarium until we can pick up the story in the 80s but they don't do that no they flash forward now finally to the 80s and i'm at least happy we're in the 80s we're in the year the movie happened because now i know something's gonna happen hopefully we are a half an hour into this 80-minute movie. So we're well past the one-third mark, but we finally finished the setup, I think. And then Billy, as an adult, has to go work at a toy store at Christmas time. God bless Sister Margaret. She has the best intentions. She knows that he's turning 18. He can't live at the orphanage anymore, so she's going to go get him a job. But if you knew somebody who, like, couldn't handle Santa, would you really put him at Iris Toys at Christmas time? Like, is this fair? <laughs> you're setting him up for failure when you're telling him that he needs to go be the guy unloading all the stock at Iris Toys. Well, I didn't think it was Christmas time when he started there. My impression was he was turning 18, perhaps graduating high school. She took him out, got him a job, and then it became Christmas and it was like, oops, no one thought about this. Billy can't work in a toy store. 
I thought that she was taking him to get that job at Halloween because they had Halloween costumes all over the store. Wonderfully 80s Halloween costumes like I used to wear with the rubber band masks and the garbage bag suits. Oh, the toys in this are so much fun. You know, <sighs> we were at the age where we would have wanted the things they're putting on the shelves, both the Halloween and Christmas stuff. A crawl board game, that would have been awesome. I gotta say, I'm loving just watching the toys in this movie. They're more interesting than the characters. Oh, you and I are on the same page. There were some vintage Return of the Jedi Job of the Hut play sets there, and I'm scared to death that at some point there's gonna be a rampage in this movie and those Job of the Huts are gonna break. <laughs> And I'm sitting there like, do you know how much I paid for that just last week? And Marjorie tells me she's sure no job of the huts were harmed in the making of this film. <laughs> yeah, so I thought he went at Halloween, but they still had those Halloween costumes out Christmas Eve. So I do think he's holiday help. It's called lazy set design. <laughs> that too. But they also have this very strange, almost Bob Seger Christmas country <laughs> tune that's selling the montage here. We're immediately jump into a musical montage in which we see that Billy is a very upstanding employee who drinks milk when other employees are drinking alcohol on the job, who is helping put Mr. Potato Heads together. He picks up a box cutter and he doesn't slash anyone's throat. It's a tune that lets you know that Billy is still okay. In fact, he's kind of hunky now. He's like this blonde built guy. He seems like despite everything he went through, he's pulled it together here. And they have this hilarious, strange musical interlude that sort of tells us it's Christmas time, I guess. Yeah, that song was hysterically bad. For some reason, just the twang of it reminded me of some of the worst songs from Teen Wolf a couple years later. Everything is a drag path to Teen Wolf with you. <laughs> I watched that movie way too often. Yeah. <laughs> but I was, again, just really wanting to get to something, and we're having this musical montage. At this point, I'm starting to realize that this movie may never become not boring. <laughs> <laughs> if people were protesting it, you can imagine that eventually we're going to get to something that's violent. But it's hard to imagine what year. <laughs> It's going to spend 20 minutes here. Then we're going to jump to 1991. Billy's going to be in his mid-20s. Well, let's face it. The movie was boring up until this point, And then we all relived our childhood with our nostalgic toys. And then the killing started and we got bored again. Well, I was having nostalgia for a reason besides the toys, though. They're at Ira's Toys, which is interesting nonetheless. And he's celebrating Christmas. But I'm recognizing Ira. I had to look him up. He's Gary's dad from Weird Science. That's why he's familiar. Mr. Sims? Yeah. He's the one who gets frozen and Anthony Michael Hall has to say, I never wanked off to anything. You told me you were combing your hair. <laughs> I vaguely remember that from 20 some years ago. Obviously, I didn't recognize Mr. Sims, but I'm shocked. I'm shocked that someone in this cast went on to work again. That's impressive. I only recognize one person in this movie, and we haven't gotten to her yet. Yeah, I didn't recognize who you're discussing, and we'll get to. But Mr. Sims, I recognized, he's that guy in, like, two dozen roles on TV and film. He's been in a dozen movies I've seen, but the role where I looked at him and went, I know him, came out a couple years later from Weird Science. He's the only actor in this entire movie that I recognized. But we finally get to... Christmas, Christmas Eve. Eve. Thank God. Because now I know it has to happen in this. He can't wait until New Year's. He has to snap today. 
This movie really takes its time with things, because now the store Santa quits, Billy has to be the Santa. There aren't any customers there! <laughs> the, the Santa calls in, he's like, I broke my leg, I'm out for the rest of the season. What, you mean till seven? I mean, it, it, like, there's like four hours left, it's Christmas Eve, and they're not even selling toys. I think you need to fold up shop, frankly. I think it's over for Ira and his toy store. Yeah, Ira's way too willing to celebrate Christmas Eve with that much stock left in the store. I just look and go, money lost, can I have a few of those Jabba the Huts? <laughs> but they decide that they need a Santa for these last couple hours, so of course, Billy is the perfect choice. And this is the final break. This is where Billy really loses it, is that children start sitting on his lap and he threatens to punish them. And we can see now that he's gone and he won't be coming back. But he's not killing anyone yet. He gets through the whole day with all those children breathing on him and snotting on him and pulling his beard. And he's still, by the end of it, by closing time, not killed anyone. I'm impressed. But here's where I realize the filmmakers are going for comedy. There's this crying girl on his lap, and he goes, Santa will punish you if you're not good. And then somebody off in the back is, he's so good with children. Arnie, no, wait a second. I want to say that you put more effort into delivering that line right there on this <laughs> podcast than this guy did playing any other line in this movie. He said everything so flat. Maybe they were trying to make him heartless, but I really don't think there's any direction on this movie. But he said it so flat and so without any emotion. It wasn't menacing. It was just like, really? This guy got an acting job? Who did he blow? Billy did go on to do a couple episodes of soap operas. I looked him up. But no, he had that Christopher Atkins, Blue Lagoon look. Fresh face, no talent. Looked like <laughs> the kind of guy that was celebrated in that early 80s period. But I don't know why you would go with him if you wanted to sell crazy. He does not have any menace to him. Which is why I still wasn't convinced he was the killer. And you mentioned Blue Lagoon. All these sex scenes, I actually put in my notes Blue Lagoon. Because the long, lingering, <laughs> loving shots, I was going back to that movie. I've never seen that movie. Oh, it's terrible. It used to give me nightmares, actually. I won't spoil the end, but the ending always made me cry. It was just very upsetting. As if that's not bad enough, then Ira makes the underage 18-year-old boy drink liquor. <laughs> my favorite moment in the movie. I gotta say, it's quitting time, and these people don't go home to their family. They're not, like, trying to get their own gifts or wrap anything or anything. Bag of potato chips and wine, it's time to get shit-faced in the store, right here and now. Lock the door. We're gonna have a party at Iris Toys. That is so depressing to me. It's incredibly depressing. This is just awful. And maybe Christmas was different in the early 80s. Alright, I've had jobs where we did exactly this. Retail jobs where, as soon as the store closed, we'd get shit-faced with each other before going home. Really? Yeah. Where did you work? Look, I know things go wrong in holiday parties. I've been there. I've seen weird hookups and what have you. <laughs> this is depressing to me. I guess these people are just losers. They have nowhere else to go. And Andy, I don't think he even stood up the entire time. He let Billy do all the work while he drank alcohol. Is now, all of a sudden, got the moves to take his girl away from him. And I was never sure, because it was done in montage and weird dreams of Billy dreaming of sleeping with this girl and then Santa stabbing Billy. I was never sure if the girl liked Billy or if Billy just was fantasizing about her. Well, she did wear low-cut shirts, and he may have a preoccupation with boobies. She kind of looks a little Natalie Portman. Do you get that? No. 
I'm telling you, look at the footage. You may not have seen it at the time, but in the face, I felt like she had a little Natalie Portman going on. I didn't see Natalie Portman. Who I saw was Jennifer Tilly. I saw like a young Jennifer Tilly. I can see that. I can see Jennifer Tilly. Because she had that weird face. Yeah, this kind of squinchy flat thing. But she didn't have a squeaky voice. But here's the thing. I'm with you. We've spent so much time with Billy in the corner weeping and going mad. I'm weirded out by the fact that we haven't established a virgin yet. We haven't established the one that is going to get away from Billy. I think it's going to be... The nun. (laughs) (laughs) She's the virgin. Okay, fair enough. I do think it's going to be this girl Pamela, but she's such a blank here. I presume she's going to get away, and we're going to watch her run from doorstep to doorstep as Santa goes through. I'm weirded out by the fact that she's making out with Andy now. I'm like, well, that doesn't make you a virgin anymore. That doesn't make us like you anymore. Well, I'm seeing this, and I'm wondering, who's Billy going to kill? Is Billy going to kill somebody? Oh, come on. Andy's dead. Not only does he look like Robert Blake, but he's been mean to Billy. Right. He's got it coming. He reminded me of Joe Pesci. Like a very young Joe Pesci, but without (laughs) the acting skills that Joe Pesci really doesn't have either. They fuck you in the storeroom! They fuck you in the storeroom! Well, if it had been a tender sex scene, I could have seen Billy killing them both. But it becomes a rape. Pam is screaming no. So now I see Billy as the hero? He's going to go rescue Pam the way he wished he could have rescued his mom? Right. It's weird. We want to see it because we hate Andy, but yeah, what does that mean for the girl? I thought she would get away. I thought that she would be horrified and that Billy would be trying to win her over for the rest of the evening by chasing her. I thought that she'd be happy that he stopped her rapist, but no, she seems more upset with Billy than the man who was going to rape her when Billy defended her. I'm going to take her side here. First of all, she's very naive because he was like, taking her to the back and like, I'm going to show you a present. And she did not know what she was stepping into. She was making out with him. I thought the signals were clear. She's saying no. He's tearing the blouse again. And then Billy comes in and chokes Andy with opportune Christmas lights. So, yes, that would be a shocking moment. You would be double whammy. You had been assaulted and then someone is murdered in front of you. I would have thought that she would have just run away. You would be horrified, you would run away, you'd want to get out of that situation. Yeah, I could have seen any of that happening. What I didn't expect was a store rampage where he would then kill not only Pam, but then also Ira and the other lady who worked at the store. Yeah, he killed everyone, which didn't really make any sense, because typically your slasher is killing someone for some sort of sin they've committed, the sex or whatever. They're drinking. I think that's the whole thing. He's so moral that drinking is even bad. They were also eating fatty foods. Does that count? It very well might. (laughs) It would in this day and age. I don't know if back in 1984 that was in the purview of culture. But more to the point, we're here for Slasher. We didn't come here to learn about Christmas. We want to see people be killed. It has been 40 some odd minutes of nobody really getting it. The fact that they knocked four people out, I think, is just making up for lost time. Yeah, because this has a pretty high body count for 80 slashers. 13 people die. No, they don't. Only seven. No, 13 people counting the parents at the beginning and Billy himself. Oh, well, that doesn't count. And the priest that gets shot by accident. That doesn't count. Mm -mm, (laughs) It counts. That does not count. We'll talk about it later. I also do appreciate their attempts at 
inventiveness for the kills because he chokes the one guy with Christmas lights, then uses a box cutter, which you would have at a storeroom, to kill Pam. He has a bow and arrow to kill the old lady and a hammer to kill the man. You said, Stuart, that these people don't follow the rules of slashers. This right here is taking me right back to some of the middling episodes of Friday the 13th where Jason couldn't use the machete twice. You had to find other implements, more inventive kills, squeezing the head, what have you. And so he's looking around. What kind of kills could we have at a toy store? Apparently, Billy's an archery expert. <laughs> and those are for kids? What's going to get recalled this year? I'll tell you. There are probably a lot more deaths that don't happen in this movie if they're selling this kind of arrows to children. Stuart, but you're well aware that every single toy that all the three of us played with as children has probably been pulled from the market because someone lost an eye. Yeah, choking hazards and what have you, lawn darts. I got a few nicks and bruises from the stuff, sure. It was a rite of passage. In the 80s, they just didn't care about you as much. And I was disappointed about the axe kill because they tease us. He grabs the axe off the wall, and I think we're going to get the axe murder. That's what's on the cover of the box is Santa with an axe. But no, she gets the axe and is going to use it to smash the window and escape, and so he uses the arrow. Yeah. But at this point, I'm a little confused, because there's a half an hour of movie left, and he's killed everybody he knows. Not Sister Margaret. Well, we know we're going to get back to the nuns. And in fact, Sister Margaret comes and surveys the carnage because she realizes Billy's not around and nobody's answering the phone. She's the one who ends up going to the police. I get really confused, though, when all of a sudden we're in this wonderful wood-paneled basement and two people are screwing on a pool table, which I've owned a pool table. That's terrible for the pool table. Do you have any idea how much it costs to retop a pool table? <laughs> I don't know, but I know that this is a perfect slasher moment. This is the only scene in the movie that works in a slasher movie traditional way. This is what you would have expected the entire movie to be is horny teens that are being unsupervised on Christmas Eve befalling the judgment of a killer Santa. This scene makes sense. I'm not going to say it's a good scene, but it's the scene we wanted the whole movie to be. I'd like to point out that that lady, I didn't get a teenager vibe from her. She looked kind of rode hard and put away wet. The funny thing is, and I didn't know this when we watched this movie, I only found out after the movie was over, and I'm like, well, who was she? I have waited 25 years to see that woman's tits. <laughs> she was in A Nightmare on Elm Street 4 as one of the souls in Freddy's chest, the naked soul, the woman who had big nipples back there. And I've always wondered who that woman was in Freddy's chest, and could I see her tits? Well, obviously you didn't see Return of the Living Dead because that's all she did. She was the punk girl. Linnea Quigley! This is the one person in this cast I knew because I read Fangoria magazine and they tried to tout her as some kind of scream queen, that she was the next Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't know what they thought they were doing here, but she did a couple of notable horror movies in the 80s, one of which being Return of the Living Dead. I saw her in something called Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama on USA Up All Night. I saw her in that too. I love Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. And I've also seen Return of the Living Dead, just never knew this was her, never knew she was the tits from Nightmare 4. Yeah, this is sort of her thing. This is her moment here. And I, maybe this is her greatest moment and we're just discovering it here. But yeah, she's making out with a boy. They're making all kinds of innuendos about balls and pockets and what have you. Where the parents are, I have no idea. Santa won't come, neither will he. He's already got her naked pretty much on the pool table. Are the innuendos necessary? No, they're just fun. <laughs> 
I'll tell you what's unnecessary is interrupting it to go let the cat in. Yeah, what the hell is that? <laughs> That's a reason to die. She deserves punishment for doing that. She hears jingles, and it should be pointed out that Billy's got these sleigh bells on his cuffs. A big occupational hazard if you were a serial killer is to have a little jingling as you walk. I think that's a terrible idea. I think you'd want to get out of the suit pretty quickly or at least get rid of those cuffs because we know that Santa is coming when we hear the jingle jingle, but she thinks it's a cat. So she's more concerned. She goes up to let the cat in and in comes Billy with the axe to take care of them both. I have a question though. Was this just a random, hey, I'm walking by this house, I think I'm going to kill these people murder? I would have to think that Billy at this point is watching. There is this song in here, Santa's watching, Santa's creeping, have you been a good boy and girl, all this kind of thing. I love that song, by the way. It's going to go on my holiday rotation this year. think it's great. But I'm only presuming, and they don't show us this, but I'm only presuming that he's going house by house and looking through windows, and if he sees bad activity, he is going to come down the metaphorical chimney and bring judgment on their ass. But to me, this is where the filmmaking becomes really bad, because you say this is a classic slasher movie moment, the kids fornicating on the pool table with the big tiger painting in the background. It's a great basement. I would love that basement, by the way. It is pretty awesome. With the tiger, the pool sex table, and the wood paneling. But the problem is, in those movies you are referencing, Stuart, we know who these two are. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out who they are. I'm honestly wondering if these are the two who were fucking in the orphanage a decade earlier. Because they don't (laughs) look teenage. They look 20s. I don't know if they're married or if their parents aren't home. Is Billy specifically targeting them? I'm trying to figure all this out, but I never do. Yes, there should have been a through line to where he's going next. There's no real purpose for Santa. We're told later that his kills are logical. I would argue, I think most people would agree, if they indeed are not logical. It is completely random where he goes. He's just kind of wandering around, happening upon sin, and bringing down the axe at this point. I think it's just fortuitous that he happened to be walking by at this moment, by this den. I don't even know how he would see them, but he did. Well, she was standing in the doorway topless. But at this point, though, despite the poor storytelling, despite the abysmal acting, despite the bad pacing, I start to get into this movie on just a pure gorehound level because of the kills. Killing her by slowly pushing her upon antlers is a wonderful kill. Classic. It was unique. However, that would take some strength, but I guess Billy worked out. He's just a big guy anyway. Yeah, he held up Andy like Darth Vader style when he was choking him. This guy's got massive strength. They've implied that that's why he was hired to move boxes, to move heavy toys, because they're so heavy. So we know that much about him. We don't know much more about what he can do. He's not supernatural. He doesn't pop up like Jason anywhere he needs to be. Like I said, he's outed by his jingle bells. (laughs) I think that all he's really got is brute strength and this need to punish. That's all that we can know about him. Which is disappointing. But I'm still pissed off because he's carrying an axe. And he still hasn't killed anyone with the axe. When the guy comes up from the basement, he never got his two balls in the corner pocket. He just throws that guy out a window. And he's dead. A first floor window. Like the guy (laughs) dies by falling, but three, four feet, maybe? I think it was the glass because he's bleeding. Yeah, yeah, the glass pierced him. You're right. And I'm wondering if this film's going to get real dark, though, because the little kid, I don't know if it was a sister or a daughter, but the little kid who was waiting for Santa to come, comes out and sees Santa there, and Billy's like, have you been naughty? 
at all during the year. And <laughs> I'm really wondering, oh shit, are they going to go there? I mean, this movie has gone everywhere else. Why wouldn't it kill a kid? I knew that Cindy was not going to identify as a bad girl. I did not know that Santa would treat her with a box cutter so that next year she's sure to be punished for killing everyone with that <laughs> box cutter. Yeah, she gets a bloody box cutter and she looks confused and why wouldn't she be? <laughs> Hell, she might not make it to next Christmas. This is exactly how kids get hurt. But I didn't think the movie would outdo the antler kill. I really thought the antler kill would be it for me. But it turns out this is just like, at this point, this random SNL sketch comedy of kills. Because we're being introduced to people and setting up their situation in two minutes like an SNL skit. And then we get to the punchline, which in this case is Billy killing them. And now we're in a scene from A Christmas Story where Scott Fargus and his buddy are there a little bit older taking away these nerd sleds. Yeah, this one had me laughing. This setup couldn't be more obvious. He's kids want to go down the snowy hill. These bullies are mean. Push them out of the way. Take the sleds for themselves. They're too big for it. Like, there's not <laughs> enough snow. They can't even move. They're, like, trying to, like, crawl on the sleds, being like, I hope we don't hit a tree. I'm just like, you wouldn't even scrape bark off at the speed you're going, but whatever. But we know how this is going to be. I'm like, oh, this is going to end in decapitation. They're going to be speeding along, and then out comes the axe. You get your axe kill. Yes, and it is my favorite kill of the whole movie, is the sled coming down with a headless corpse on it, and then the head comes bopping down after. I'm finally having some fun in this movie. Why couldn't more of the kills been like this? This is the kind of stuff you want in your slasher film. You want the over-the-top, and the antler death was one of the first ones that was over-the-top, and then you get this, and I'm like, okay, now it's gonna get good. Yes, I can fix this movie. Here's what needed to happen. Everything that we saw in the first 40 minutes, 10 minutes. Billy gets the abuse, sees all the other orphans getting preferential treatment while they're doing bad. He's the good kid and he's the one punished. So he's now going around and in adulthood attacking these adult orphans for doing their sin. This is the movie that it should have been. We needed to see him coming down chimneys, up on rooftops, taking out the evil orphans. I think that would have been a much more satisfying slasher scenario here. It's too little too late when we're getting these kills. But yeah, this is the stuff that I thought I was signing up for. But it's always interrupted by inept cops. While this is going on, we have cops busting in on, uh, they see a man in a Santa suit climbing in a window through a ladder, and great, they get to traumatize a child because it's daddy imitating Santa Claus, and they pull a gun on him. Then poor Father O'Brien. <laughs> Father O'Brien amused the hell out of me. <laughs> He's deaf. He's Santa. <laughs> what good is a deaf Santa? <laughs> Again, coming Christmas morning to the orphanage, only 24 hours too late. And we understand Billy does more kills off screen we don't even get to see. Do we? They say there's three more deaths, and he's been killing everybody in pairs that I've seen. Perhaps he's being blamed for it. No, the three deaths were the guy on the sled and the two kids on the pool table. Yeah, I think that's all they're talking about. But we gotta get back to the orphanage. Billy's getting back to the orphanage. We want him to get back to the orphanage. Like you say, that nun must go, right? Yes, it's the only thing I need to happen here. It's the only one that really deserves it. In a history of all of this behavior that Billy thinks is punishable, the only one that I'm agreeing with is Mother Superior. She's mean. She's done it to lots and lots of kids through the ages. She's all wrong. She's gotta go. Sister Margaret needs a promotion, and this bitch needs to be taken out. <laughs>
I can't believe I just called a nun a bitch, but <laughs> she deserves it. You're going to get protested. Yes. <laughs> There's already an old man in the sandwich board outside my window. <laughs> <laughs> but we are denied even that base pleasure. And I think, again, the filmmakers, they don't want to go that far. They have the good nun and the bad nun, and they are not going to kill a nun, even if one might deserve it for their actions. I think that these protesters were all wrong. I don't think you could call this pro-Catholic, but I agree. The filmmakers are very trepidatious about going there. I thought it was going to be much more savage. Yeah, they put Mother Superior in a wheelchair. I guess that's what they feel is her judgment. Or maybe it's just because it's been 10 years and she was old in the 70s. So now she's infirmed. And if a wheelchair is good enough for Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life, it's good enough for her here, right? All classic Christmas films. (laughs) She's also taken a shine to Ricky. The other brother is still there. It should be said that baby in the car from the beginning was in the same orphanage. He never played with Billy. They never were like that close, but he's still there and he's her favorite. So I'm thinking one or both of them are going to get it from Billy. Okay, I have a big problem when the movie gets to this point. Why is it 13 years after the murder of Billy's parents and Ricky is like still seven years old? (laughs) He should be at least 13. He should be a very young teenager, and he's like a itty-bitty-bitty-bitty kid. I believe he could have been 12. Sometimes when I look back at my old yearbooks and all of that, I think that I should look older than I was. 12, it's an awkward age. I'll buy it for the sake of the movie, and because they probably didn't have a lot of casting choices in Utah, they probably had to work with what was given them. But I'm angry that the only deaths we get here in this climax are done by the cop who shoots a deaf man (laughs) and Billy decapitating a snowman. I felt bad for Frosty. (laughs) Nobody else gets it here. How can he not get some justice here? This movie is cruel. They've spent the whole time asking us to identify with this killer and wanting us for him to get peace of mind and justice, and then they completely deny it for him. He deserves to bring down that axe on the Mother Superior. I completely agree that he deserves it, but I'm still not sure... If this film is pro-Billy or anti-Billy, at this point, are we supposed to fear him? Is he supposed to be Jason Voorhees? Is he the one we want to see stopped and we don't want to see him kill anyone else? But if he kills the sinners, God knows Mother Superior sinned by whipping the hell out of everybody and tying kids spread eagle to a bed. She was very naughty. That's what I'm saying is that her cruelty will go on even though Billy is shot by the sheriff. It's not fair, but it's also implied, I guess the closest thing we have to the horror movie in twist is that it's in the family. It's generational. Maybe little Ricky will pick up the axe in the next one because it's implied with the final statement that he might have been traumatized by this event. Maybe repressed things that he saw as a baby will be coming back to light. I have no doubt they will. I know nothing about these sequels. I don't know how much homage or how close ties they have to this story. It could be a direct sequel where little Ricky is the killer, or they could go the prom night way where it's just a totally different set of events that take place on prom night. And instead of a killer priest, it's now a ghost. Yeah. The holiday and the Santa suit will return. I'm not sure that any of these characters are scenarios well, but we'll have to see. So Marjorie, Stuart... Do you recommend Silent Night, Deadly Night? Marjorie. Oh, hell no. I'm sorry. This movie was boring. And two decent kills cannot redeem it. I don't care if it was protested. They should have protested it because it was a really boring movie. 
I had a hard time keeping my eyes open during this movie. I was largely just not interested. They spent so long building up this uninteresting backstory that it just goes nowhere. I did not enjoy this movie. Stuart. All right, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to have to change the rating scale for me. I'm pretty convinced and have been approaching the series that it's going to be a strong not recommend for all of them. So there has to be another way to categorize, right? There has to be another way for me to think about it. Lumps of coal. That's what I'm going to go here. How many lumps of coal am I going to put in this stocking? I know they're all going to be bad. They all deserve punishment. I am going to say for the two kills, for seeing Linnea Quigley... And for the amusing holiday songs, this gets one lump of coal. It's that bad. But I have a feeling that there will be movies in this series that will get worse. I think this is a one lump movie. And for me, I won't go by the lump of coal scale. But I am going to not recommend this film, but it's a very weak not recommend. I'm also adjusting my scale to a degree in that I have to judge these films as unambitious slashers, which I do have a fondness for. I think now playing started due to my fondness of low-rent slashers. The problem is, would I enjoy this just as a USA up-all-night type of feature? And this one, I could see putting on, especially for the inventive kills of the last half hour. The problem is, It is a long, long time before we get to that half hour. I love some of the imagery. Right before Frosty's head gets chopped off, I love the axe that's dripping with blood. I think there is some inspired imagery here. (laughs) You think a bloody axe is inspired in a slasher movie? I think it's a prerequisite. I think the prop guy shows up with it and goes, where do you want it? But okay. (laughs) I'd like to point out that we went to a Halloween store and he was really obsessed with the machetes and knives with fake blood dripping on them (laughs) and which ones were authentic and which ones weren't. Marjorie, I'd be worried. (laughs) It's specifically with the snowman in the background, the framing of the shot, not the fact that it is a bloody axe, but the fact of how it comes in and how bloody it is. The decapitation kill, the antler kill. There's a lot of tits, there's a lot of ass, and there's a lot of gore. And that's kind of how I'm going to have to judge these films is, is it fun tits, ass, and gore? But it takes so long to get there. There is so much time spent in setup, and I'm confused as to who I'm supposed to root for in this movie. I understand why this could be a cult classic, because the opening kills with the crazed Santa and the kids running and the rape, I could see how people could try to make that opening mom death on par with, say, the scene from Reanimator, where the head gives head. I could see where Billy could be a fun holiday slasher film for slasher fans. But yeah, this film doesn't end with a good cathartic nun death. It doesn't end with Billy coming out of it. There's just no arc here. It's just events that happen. I think this is a movie probably more renowned for its controversy than for its content. I don't necessarily regret watching it, and I can't say I'll never watch it again, but I don't recommend you do. So a week not recommend. But on the plus side, it did introduce me to Leanna Quigley's horror workout videotape, where she does all (laughs) kinds of workouts from horror films. (laughs) Does she do any pool cue lifts? (laughs) For making me realize who the face behind the tits was, I'm thankful to Silent Night, Deadly Night. (laughs) Well, we can cross that off the list. (laughs) 
and I'm thankful to you, Stuart and Marjorie, for joining me here. And the holiday season officially began last Friday, and we are going to have Silent Night, Deadly Night all through the holiday season, as every Tuesday we are reviewing another one of these films. Next week, it's Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Can't wait. So you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Now playing, we'll be back next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Cheer up. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve, and things are only going to get better. If you enjoyed this podcast, head to our website, nowplayingpodcast.com, to hear the other reviews in the Silent Night, Deadly Night series. Let me tell you about Christmas. It ain't all candy canes and pretty lights. As well as other horror movie reviews, such as the Halloween movies, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, House of a Thousand Corpses, and more. You tend to get paranoid when everyone around you gets dead. We also have non-horror movie reviews, such as Star Trek, Terminator, The Avengers, Rambo, Rocky, and more. That sounds like an enterprise of great pith. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it live or is it memorized? While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You will talk, I will listen. But then you know that. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. So where are you going to go? The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. You have to come up sometime, and when you do, I'll be waiting for you. Support from listeners like you help keep now playing operating. <laughs> Give a dollar for the kitties. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Put the money in the bag. Now playing's Silent Night, Deadly Night is edited by Ray, Phil, Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. What are you, a masochist or something? Now playing credit narration by Brock. I'm finished talking, Henry. The Silent Night, Deadly Night films are the property of their individual studios and stakeholders, and no infringement is intended. Too many people get away with shit like that. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. There is no logical explanation. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. It's over! Time to get shit-faced! <laughs>
Okay. Are you done? Well, I was looking it up for you. Oh, oh. <laughs> Did you seem to have an issue? Oh, my God. Stop moving. She, Don't she, breathe. Listen, it's like she lives her life by that uh, movie Finding Forrester. She pounds the keys. I never saw that. It's terrible. Pretty good. I like it. Punish! I kind of got a little... We have a big storm going on. Sorry. We may have to do some retakes because of God. Yeah, when God's done bowling, I guess. God is protesting us reviewing this film in such a humorous <laughs> manner, and he is going and that to really smite That really is us. the wind? Yeah, that's thunder. Oh, I thought there was someone breathing. No, that's thunder. I, th- I was surprised. I knew it couldn't have been that, because you would have been all up on them, though. Well, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> God damn it! Stop making thunder! Why I don't know why you're shit. not yelling at the wind, Arnie. I'm going to be like Gary Sinise and Forrest Gump. Bring it on! I'm going to record! Naughty. If it had stayed a classic sex scene, a tender one, like we'd seen in the orphanage, how often do you get to say that? (laughs) Yes, exactly. More orphanage sex scene-like. After the tender, sweet orphanage lovemaking. Oh my god. (laughs) Punish! I've only been to one movie that had a protester outside, and I say A as in one protester, and there was a person protesting Showgirls when I saw it in St. Louis when it came out, because it was NC-17, but it was one protester talking about God and sin, and did not sway (laughs) me one bit from seeing that awesome, awesome movie. (laughs) I'm sure you'd seen boobies before by that point. No, I'd never seen them before. No mirrors around? No, I had a house without mirrors. I didn't even know I had any. Garbage day!